Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. A senior in high school gets drunk at a party. He knew he shouldn't drive, but he does anyway. On his way home, he crashes his car into a family of four, killing them instantly. He goes to prison for his crime. He's sentenced to 40 years. He gets out on parole near his 50th birthday. He only knows incarceration. He's never been on his own before. He lived with mom and dad in the state of Florida for over 30 years. He no longer has his prison cell to make him feel safe. That was a terrible world, but it's the world he knows. The outside world is scary and it's unpredictable. He's free, but now what? We as believers in Jesus Christ, as weird as this sounds, have a similar trajectory. We are in bondage and death in our sin. That's, that's, what, that's what the word says. And then he literally paid our ransom. He brought us from death to life. The, the, the cell door that was holding us in is open. Now what? You're free. I've paid for your sin. Now I'm calling you to follow me. You found me. Remember, we're walking through that, through Galatians. Now walk with me. Follow me. But we want control of our life. We don't want to trust God. We'll we'll pray the prayer. We'll acknowledge the gift of the sacrifice on the cross. We'll we'll even believe that. But I don't want to surrender my day-to-day life, my choices, the control of my life, the trust of the next step out that cell door to Him. The cell's comfortable. I've, I've slept on that mattress for years. I know the lumps. I've painted the walls. I've, I, I have my own pictures up, right? It's, 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 it's terrible. It's, it's not a good environment, but it's mine. I'm used to it. I'm okay with it. All I knew was incarceration. But now I'm free. But I want and I long for my bondage. I don't want to walk with him. That's, that's what we're dealing with in today's passage in Galatians 4. This idea of, I've found God, I know who He is, I've received the Holy Spirit, but I, I want to go back. I, I don't want to trust that, that it's really paid for. I want to do, I want to add to the gospel, right? Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. But, but I want to add stuff. I want to add stuff because I can control the stuff. I can do my thing. I I can put my money in the offering plate. I can sit my rear end in the seat. I can show up every single week. I can raise my hand at the prayer. I I can be fervent in my prayer. But I'm not going to step outside that cell. I won't walk out into the community in which God's called me to. Mm -mm, Not doing that. I I will not do it. I will will fight because I, I am okay with what I have. I will not take a step out and follow him in the next step of that process. 
Everyone that's here knows this section. We've covered it. The atonement. So we're not going to belabor that point. You know what, I'm, what we're talking about here. You know the illustration of the blanket. You know the pillows. So the whole idea, remember, with that was God had the atonement system. So what would happen, my sin was placed before God and through the shedding of blood of, of a goat or a ram or a bull. And when this would happen, my sin would be covered over. It was not washed away. It was covered over. And then with Christ, when Christ came, he became the perfect sacrifice, the substitutional atonement that would last. And then the sin is no longer covered over. It's what? It's gone. It's washed away. It's clean. That's what's different. We know justification. We know finding God, right? You guys got this, right? We know sanctification. We know that that's following God. We know that that's different for one person as opposed to another in the role that God has defined in them. What we're talking about is Jew, Gentile. Following God is different for a Jew than it is a Gentile. Following God is different for a man than it is a woman. Not in the sense that we don't follow God, but there are roles that we have to play. That God says, and he's put in place. And we know antinomianism, right? We even know that one. Grace, good, law, bad. Remember, that's not how it works, right? Because you go both ways with this. You could say that, okay, God is so good and he's so gracious and he's so kind and he's so loving and he's paid for all of my sin so I can do whatever I want and it's fine because he's paid for all my sin. You know, my blanket's completely good. But how does that stack up with him saying, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. How does it stack up? What's, what, look at your life. Are you sitting in the cell? Are you walking outside of the cell? Are you following him? Because remember, we're talking about sanctification. Following God means giving up control and trusting his direction. How are we doing with that? It's really hard. Can you get an amen to that? Right? That is hard. I can pray the prayer. I can believe that Jesus paid for my sins. I can do all of that, and I can believe it. But that next step, I got to tell you, that's pretty hard. That next thing, it's really easy to go back to what I know and what I can control. Trust and control are incredibly difficult. So Paul's going to continue his argument. We're actually going to finish the justification argument. Okay? The atonement argument that Paul's making throughout Galatians, it gets capped off right here. Chapter 5, there's a little bit of a transition. So you guys are going to understand this if you don't already. Paul really goes through it. So let's jump in right now to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Remember he was talking about the tutor and the heir at the end of chapter 3. Remember that part? You guys tracking? Okay. Verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I titled this the, the Tudor Principle. 
God's atonement system was a tutor that would illustrate what he would later do through his son. We've covered some of this already. Christ would be the, the lamb born under the law that would pay for the sins of the world. Notice that Paul points out that before Christ, we were under the atonement system. If you wanted to be justified, if you wanted to find God before Christ, what would you do? Before Christ came and, and paid for your sin, what would you do? Go to the temple, right? The, the, the way that God was articulating himself to the world was through a people, and those people were who? Israel, the Jews, Israel, right? So you would come in and you would fall under that atonement system, and that's how you would be justified before God. That's how you would be made righteous before God. It was his righteousness. It was faith in that sacrifice, but that was the system in which he had. Before that, what's our example that we've been using? Before atonement. There's this dude and his wife. Abraham and Sarah, right? right? And we're going to cover a lot of them today too. So how did Abraham find God? What's that? Belief. Well, what did his belief look like? Yeah, he followed God. God said, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And he's like, oh. Okay, God. He believed God, and it was credited to, credited to him as righteousness. So it was the belief and the trust in God. That was justification. That was finding God. So the system of finding God, he has tweaked that throughout history. Now we have the atonement system being replaced by Jesus paying for all the sins of the world, right? And remember the problem we were having. You had the Judaizers coming in to these churches that Paul had helped set up in Galatia. And they were saying, hey, you're Gentiles. You still have to live like the Jews. You're not a Jewish person, but you still have to keep the dietary laws. You still have to follow all this. And the issue was, hey, you have to walk with God the way I do. If I have to keep it, you do. That's following God, right? Sanctification. That's why they got it wrong. They were saying that you had to follow these laws to be made right before God. Could you do that? No, because Christ had paid for your sins. Are we, are we tracking? Okay. So this tutor principle, this is just like what we saw last week. It was the last principle in chapter 3. This whole idea that God had created an illustration for all of the world to see through the sacrificial system. A lot of animals were killed over the um, thousands of years, right? A lot of that, a lot of animals died throughout the sacrificial system. And God would use that later on so that when he put his son up on a cross, people would get it. Remember, if, if for the first time a sacrifice happened and it was Jesus, do you think it would as, have been as impactful to the people watching? They, they wouldn't have understood. They wouldn't have understood the lamb, right? The sinless lamb of God. Notice what he points out here. This is so cool. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, a woman who kept the law, mind you. Right? Mary kept the law. We know that. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ would come to redeem the world, and the world includes the Jewish people. They're a part of this too. They, they don't just get pushed off to the side. God's not done with them. 
We are now heirs with Christ in his inheritance. We are adopted into the family. That was the illustration we used with the kids. Remember that what would happen in those days, you had a bunch of kids, and you'd have this tutor, and this tutor would go through, and this was, a, this was a place of honor for this tutor, because this tutor was literally educating this guardian, was raising up the person who probably, if this tutor was still alive, they'd work for this person one day. It's kind of a big deal, right? So they're preparing this person to lead the family, and then adoption would mean I picked that one. I said, that is the one that can lead my family. That is the one that I've adopted. It wasn't adopted in the same sense that we think of it. So when he's using this term adoption, it's God picked you. Get encouraged by that. You were good enough to be picked by the God of the universe. He knows you and he picked you anyway. Knows me and he picked me anyway. It's amazing. Your sins are forgiven. They're paid for. It's good news to take to the world, right? Take a minute. Check your heart. He's released you from your cell. The door's back. Are you staying in? Are you taking this, this message of grace and peace and hope where he picked you to the others? Or are you hanging out in your cell? What's going on? You were selected by God to be an heir into his kingdom. There's nothing more encouraging in the entire world. God knows you. He paid for your sin. The second one is the bars principle. It's that Christ released the prisoner from the wages of their sin. The cell door is open. Staying inside an open cell doesn't make any sense. You see this in verses 6 through 11. Read those with me now. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 8, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world who slaves, which enslaves you and wants to take you back? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul's pointing out you're no longer prisoners. You're sons. You're heirs. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Why go back? The door is open. Why on earth would you turn back? Why would you do that? It makes no sense to him. He doesn't get it. The issue here is trust. We highlighted it at the beginning of the message. The issue is trust. Do I trust God enough to grant him control of my life? These people had found God. Remember that. The Holy Spirit had come. It says here they cried out, Abba, Father. These, these folks had found God. They knew who Jesus was. They understood the gospel. They had accepted Christ. They were Christ followers in that sense, right? And Paul is saying, why on earth would you turn back to the elemental ways in which you had before? That made no sense. Why would you go back to that? Why would you turn around and walk back into the cell? It makes no sense at all. But they didn't trust. So then when these other guys come walking in and start to prey on their misunderstandings and their concerns and their lack of trust, 
it feeds into it, and that's the problem that we have. The cell door's open, yeah! Oh wait, I'm supposed to walk out of it? Yes. You're called by the God of the universe to walk out of it. He released you, don't turn back. Your bank account, your job, your security, your retirement, your time, your church work, or whatever it is that's your prison cell, it cannot offer you salvation. It can and it won't. He has offered it, and he asked that you walk out of the cell and into the world in which he's called you. Walk. Paul had left these folks anticipating that they were walking with God and that they would continue to take his message to the other churches throughout Galatia. Remember, this isn't a region. This isn't one body. This is throughout all of what they, what's, what's now considered Turkey. And now Paul is in another location thinking, okay, I've set up, God, God's doing work here, and these guys are following God, and they're going to take the gospel. And then all of a sudden, what, the, what? They're not even sure if they found God? They're so hung up about finding God that they're not following him. What does that look like for us? Are we so concerned with the sin that we find ourselves in and we're not really dealing with it, we're just pining over it and freaking out that we're not dealing with God. That we're not following Him. We're concerned whether or not we have a relationship with Him. Have you ever had that thought? Has that ever hit you where you're like, man, I gotta tell you, what's going on in my life right now, I gotta wonder whether or not I actually have accepted Christ. You ever had that happen? You're so hung up in finding God that you're not following Him at all. You can also follow Him and you never surrendered your life to Him too. So be careful. He paid for all of your sin. Nothing you can do grants you that. He did it. But we got to check ourselves. we got to find where we're at. The next principle you'll see in verses 11 through 15. I call that the remembrance principle. When doubt creeps in, the best thing to do is remember the faithfulness he has already shown you. Paul takes them back to this moment to try to reintroduce them to the awe they felt with God. Verse 11. I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you because as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You knew it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Paul explains the reason why he was with them was due to a sickness or an ailment. We're not sure what it was, but they received him with open arms. And then he continues the argument by saying, whoa, whoa, go back and think about the experience you had with God when you surrendered your life to him. When the Holy Spirit came and inhabited you and people were healed and stuff was going down because you saw who God was. And now you're concerned whether or not you even know him. You're letting all this other stuff interfere with how you should be following him now, being hung up in on finding him. That's an issue. That's a problem. And he's so concerned over them. Remember, Paul's writing this letter. It's just he's, I mean, it, it just, the heart, my heart's breaking for this guy. He said that 
you would have given me your own eyes. That's the love. You would have given me your own eyes. You received me as if I was Christ Jesus. You were following. You, this was real. You inhabit. You, you encountered the God of the universe. Remember that. Anybody ever here ever been on a roller coaster? Show of hands. A couple of us. All right, cool. You get in the roller coaster and it makes that noise, right? And that's the most fearful noise that's ever existed on the planet. I've never been to war, and I'm not going to pretend that, you know, that, that obviously that's a different ballgame. But in terms of your day-to-day -day life, I just can't imagine a, a sound more fearful than that. I love roller coasters, but i got to tell you, it's just, oh, it's like, oh. Right? You're shaking. You're like, oh, okay. Okay. And, and you're going, and then you get to the top, and then you go over, and you have an awesome time. You ever been going through the clicking and it pop into your head, hey, the last time I rode this, it was awesome. Doing that helps you get through the clicking. Thinking about the past faithfulness of the God in which adopted you will get you through the clicking of this life. Clicking's coming. Many of us are in it right now. More will come. And it'll seem insurmountable and scary and overwhelming. But think back to the faithfulness of him. The God of the universe paid for your life and picked you and said, you will have an inheritance with me. I'm getting chills just even saying those words. The God of the universe picked you, paid for your sin, and is now telling you to step out of that cell. To walk. To follow him. And when it gets hard, because it's going to be hard, remember the past faithfulness, because has he ever dropped you? Has the God of the universe ever dropped you? No. He kind of keeps the sun going. He can handle us. It's a big deal. The issue again is control. He is in control. It's about him, not about us. Almost done. The next one I, I titled it the motive principle. You see this in verses 16 through 20. Paul continues and he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they may make much more of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now, that, that can come across really kind of goofy. Here's what he's saying. He's saying... They are turning, they are, they are turning you against what I have said, what I've said, what I've articulated to you through what God has called, right? They're tweaking that, and they're tweaking it not because they're concerned for you. They're tweaking it because they want control. They'll make a big deal about you so that you then have to come to them. Remember who we're talking about. Paul is writing to Gentiles or Jews? 
Gentiles. Okay, generally we're talking about a group of Gentiles, right? So these Judaizers have come in and said Paul has watered down the gospel, and because he's watered it down and said you didn't have to follow the rules and regulations of the law, you're missing God. Remember, that's our, that's our key tension. That's our problem. So Paul is saying to them, look at what they're doing. Check their motive. Their motive is, oh, hey, you need someone who can explain the law to you because you need the law. Without the law, you don't know who God is, period. That's what they're saying. And imagine that, we're here. Imagine that, we can help. We know the law. We're from Jerusalem. We know all the law. And what Paul is saying, the motive behind them is control. They want control and power. That's the problem. The principle is that the motive of man-made religious systems is to control those that would follow them. God's motive is to tell the universe who he is. I can trust in him because his motive is true. Look at the differences in the motives. That's what Paul is saying. Compare it. They want to control you. That's why they're trying to, to, trying to sway you in this direction. Have you ever had someone say something to you or offer you something or do something for you, and your immediate reaction is like, whoa, what's that about? You know, maybe it was great, and hopefully, that, hopefully it was, but you're wondering, hey, what was the motivation behind that? Sometimes we think about what the motivation is behind something because that can help us frame what the action actually is. That's a lot of words to say. I can check through by knowing the character of someone explaining or telling me something or doing something for me, and I can maybe get a feel as to whether they're trying to control a situation. Is that making sense? I don't know if that's landing right. Paul's saying check their motive. That's the point. And in our lives, sometimes we need to check motives, but you've got to be careful. You can't act as if you know someone else's motive because that can lead to some pretty crazy shenanigans. The point is, you can trust the motive behind God. He's declared his motive faithfully, and every single moment we can look back and say, yep, that's what God is doing. He's declaring himself to the universe since the beginning. Guess how he can best declare himself to the universe? With you outside of that cell. He saved you. He paid for your sins. And he said, walk outside the cell. Interact with the rest. Interact with those that are still in their cells. Interact with those that are outside of their cells. Live life with your community. Interact with them and explain who I am. Because my goal, my motive is to tell the universe who I am. And guess what? I chose you. I adopted you as an inheritance to run my universe to help me with this. He does not need us. But he uses us. It's incredible. He does not need us to do it. But he uses us. The most effective tool for the gospel is to change life. Because I can speak into someone else's life, you can speak into someone else's life that has led similar circumstances because he has changed you. He has paid for your sin. You are different now. He has equipped you to do it. He's calling you to do it. Get out of your cell. Finally, Paul closes the argument of justification and sanctification with an illustration here. Verses 21 through 31 read this way. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do not listen to the law. Do you not listen to the law? 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the woman was born through a promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those of the ones who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So the brothers were not, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is really difficult. There's some heavy lifting here. Focus, okay? Here's what Paul is saying. You have Hagar and Ishmael. You have Sarah and Isaac. Which one was the promise? Isaac. Isaac was the promise. So you have Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael, the son of a bondwoman, not an heir to Abram's wealth, right? Born because of a lack of faith in God. Because remember, God had promised a son, and then Abraham and Sarah are sitting there, and Sarah's like, well, okay, God promised a son, but it's not happening, so go ahead and let's, let's just work this out, right? So they, they did it on their own, not on God's time, and it led to a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Then you have Sarah and Isaac, it was the son of Abram's wife, and therefore heir to his wealth, born by the promise of God. Paul has made this argument before here in Galatians. He makes it again in Romans, like we read this morning. Made free by the promise of God. There's a lot here, but what he's pointing out is you, people, Gentiles, you are children of God by the promise of God. God promised at the beginning of creation, at the fall, that he would redeem the world. You are a part of that redemption. He promised that. He then worked it out through Abraham, then through the Jewish people, because remember, how were you justified by God during atonement? How? During the atonement system, how were you justified? What's up, Ms. Kendra? By sacrifice. That's how you were justified by God, okay? So you had to go through the Jewish people. You went through the country, the nation that God had created to be justified before God. Now it's different. It's different in the sense that Christ has opened up salvation for the entire world. You are children of the promise. This is heavy lifting, I know, but focus. We're almost there. You are children of the promise. And he continues to say, that living under the bondage, living under the atonement system does not bring it life. It was there for a time, but that does not justify you before God any longer. The sacrifices are done. Follow God. Get outside yourself. Follow God. And he continues, this is why this is the end of the argument with, with uh, the issue of, of a sanctification, justification. He says, Verse 30, but does, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. 
what he says is, back in Scripture, Ishmael got after Isaac. We don't know exactly what it looked like. Basically, the idea is that he was picking on him. That was part of what we read this morning. And they were banished. Okay? What he's saying is, do not misunderstand. This would have happened. We knew this would happen. Those that were under the bond system, under the slave system, under the system of atonement, now look at us who know who God is and have this promise it's not exactly a great thing for them because it had been mentioned before in Scripture that we would love God and they would look at our relationship with God and it would actually make them jealous. It's part of God's redemptive plan for Israel. It's not over. He's still working with Israel. But Israel's looking at us and seeing the relationship we have with the God that picked them and they don't get it. And what he's saying is, these guys who've come from Jerusalem that don't get it, we knew this would happen. Kick them out. They're trying to dissuade you from finding God. You found him. Now follow him. Get outside your cell. All you've known is incarceration. We come to God with all of our issues, all of our sin, and he paid for it all, and we acknowledge that but we're comfortable in our sin. We can control living in that. We, we, we can live here. It's, it's, it's not great, but you know what? It's ours. The God of the universe says, no. He says, I paid for your sin. Walk with me now. I have found you. I've paid for you. Walk with me now because it's not just about you. It's about the community in which I've called you because they're part of the world that I redeemed. It's not over. It's still going on. And you're a part of it. Let's walk with God. You guys ready for that? As a body here in Ocala, you guys ready to walk with God? Because there's a community out here that we're not reaching. It just doesn't feel like we're reaching them. We're having intentional conversations with people. I know those things are happening. I'm very encouraged by that. This is a call right now. Where are we at? Are we being intentional with reaching the community in which God's called us? Follow Him. Trust Him. The clicking is there. It's going to be an awesome time because we already know that it was because He paid for us already. You're adopted. I'm adopted. We're heirs with Him. Let's get excited about that. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.